Welcome to the Fast Lane. Nick Miles is our auto expert. So drop it into gear. You've got a green flag. Here's Nick. Um, I got the privilege of racing this weekend. Well, I don't know this week. I'm not sure you call it racing. Um, there was a racetrack and fast cars involved. What I did may not be classified anywhere under any automotive manual as racing. But it was a lot of fun at Thermal Track in Palm Springs. Uh, BMW had what they call Test Fest there. 85 cars, a bunch of eager journalists, and zero driving skills really make for an enjoyable <laughs> week. The uh, truth. <laughs> welcome to the show. We'll be talking about that this week on Our Auto Expert. Ryan Jen here and in studio for the whole show. You may regret coming to Paul. I'm already regretting it. <laughs> Perry Stern is here. You can read his uh, his articles at MSN Autos. Uh, Perry, uh, what did you do this week? Uh, this week I stayed home in the snow. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you, your home, your home obviously Seattle. Um, how was it? How was driving? First of all, I know that people in Seattle have no clue how to deal with snow. I've they don't. I've experienced it many times. And we had a lot of snow. For I mean, just in general, we had, I don't know, 10, 12 inches of snow uh, I had a Mazda CX-9 I was driving right. and That's was not thoroughly horrible. impressed. Really? Uh, it, even just all-season tires, I never had any trouble getting around, getting up hills, that sort of thing. Uh, I was I thought it'd make a really good winter car. So, in, in fairness, you were the only person driving in Seattle then? Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> there were a couple trucks out there, but uh, I, I always wait. You know, if you wait an hour or two, anybody who was out has either found their way home or into the ditch. And then the roads are clear. Although we're a national show, you may have worked out by now that we're based in the Northwest. Uh, what, why, why do people in the Northwest have such a hard time with snow? Because we never see it. I mean, the average snowfall where I live is eight inches of snow a year. We got 12 inches of snow overnight. So 1.5 years worth in, of snow. In just 12 hours. Exactly. All right. So, And we also have a lot of hills. And so hills and snow and ice... You know, you, even with four-wheel drive, just don't go over so well. Well, I can I have one word for you. YouTube. There must be some great YouTube videos of Seattle. There always stuff. is. <laughs> <laughs> Luckily, I, I'm not in any of them. I used to do uh, mornings on a radio station in Seattle, and uh, they we had snow. And that was the year that the two buses drove out down the hill and didn't make it and were sticking out over I-5. That was uh, quite spectacular to see buses teeter-tottering on the edge of the I-5. Uh, I guess it would be wall yeah. to drop down to I-5. I remember that as snow. I just everywhere in Seattle is pretty hilly. You don't really realize that until you have to walk. Driving is is you know you don't realize it at all. I guess West Seattle is not so hilly. But uh, when definitely downtown, if you go down to the waterfront and then you have to walk up back to uh, back uptown, it's... <gasps> or if you try to learn how to drive a stick and try oh, yeah. and shift into first gear and go from those hills. It's Add. Uh, Lot of lot of burning clutch there. Add twelve inches of snow, and it's a recipe for disaster. How uh, how are the wheels on that CX nine? Are you having to have some bump and nick repairs? To, no, to... actually, I didn't hit any. Well, there were no curbs to hit. Everything was buried. All right, uh, and uh, it was it would cruise through. I mean, there were most of the streets were not plowed. So because we don't have enough snow plows to go around, and apparently a lot of them were needing repair uh, up in my area, and so. It was a lot of fun to be able to go through, you know, untouched snow uh, 
and uh, not have any problems. Just cruise right through it. Were there tragedies? Were there, did you see a lot of cars like in ditches on roofs? There were a lot of cars abandoned. Oh, yeah. You know, people trying to get home, going uphill, you know, just losing traction altogether and just giving up. I love uh, the saying that when it snows, just to remind people, I-5 is not a parking lot. As people just like to get out and walk, they're done. And, and I think that the benefit this time is it came. It was there was a lot of warning, and everybody left about you know left work in the middle of the afternoon, which meant horrible, horrible traffic. But by evening, everybody was home and gone. The snow came on a Friday night, Saturday, so there weren't a lot of people out. Uh, the timing couldn't have been better. Down here in Portland, we just cleared out the stores and you know preparing for the snow, and then sat in our our homes next to the fire waiting for the snow to never happen and then watching you guys on the news my disappointing <laughs> i had snow yeah, oh, you Jen, did. You had yeah. snow. i had snow in battleground hmm? All right. how much i don't know i didn't go out and measure but oh, come on now <laughs> watch the you should listen to to uh, your local radio station to get the weather yeah. uh what a, man we always measure I, I <laughs> I have favorite things when it snows, um, and I'm going to ask you guys what your favorite is. My favorite is watching people put chains on the rear wheel. Rear oh my wheel, god, front that's wheel so funny! It's, or on uh, all four of them. And, he, <laughs> and you know what? So the cruel people amongst us will wait until they get both chains on because it's a struggle. If you don't ever put chains on, you don't put chains on. Right? <laughs> so it's a struggle. Uh, so to to watch them put it on, the cruel people will wait till you get them on and say, you know, that's. Rear, that's a front wheel drive, not rear wheel. Oh, it is. <laughs> uh, but the good people amongst us will go, whoa, 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 stop right there, wrong wheels. I have an all. I used to have an all wheel drive Land Rover, and I had two chains. And I, it says right in the manual, <laughs> put them on the rear wheels, which Jen, was kind of interesting. It's dying laughing right now. <laughs> Nick had two chains, and she is dying laughing. <laughs> all wheel drive had two chains. Two <laughs> chains. <laughs> so anyway. Well, it he would be it. It, it would be one no. it'd be a one chain, wouldn't it? Otherwise, <laughs> and she's, and she's wrong done radio day. station. <laughs> this is this is talk. <laughs> so uh, that's exactly. I, I love that. What do you love about uh, people and driving in snow, Jen? That they just can't drive in it. Yeah, I just I love when they come around the corners and then they put a little bit of gas. It's like <laughs> it's. But the other thing I love watching is is the person watches the person in front of them like slide out and then they do exactly what they do. It's like, did you did you think it was going to be different somehow? All right, what do you, what do you love about watching people drive in snow, Perry? I think it's amusing when you see all these people who have bought SUVs and four wheel drives so they can go anywhere, and then as soon as it snows, they have no clue. And you know, typically it's the wrong tires on the car. Some they tires, don't know that yeah. they're that they can't stop any faster in an SUV, and actually a lot of them are heavier, which means stopping is going to be even longer. Uh, and suddenly they're uh, not as invincible as they thought. Right, and Ryan? Everybody's a professional. It's so funny, to Everybody's Ken Block when the snow comes out. You know, everybody's in the parking lot until they slam their axle into the curb. <laughs> We're going to be talking about a car which might be good in the snow, the Honda uh, Passport, when we come back. This is our auto expert. It's everything you ever wanted to know about cars. Ryan, Perry, Jen in studio for the whole show. Keep listening. More of our auto expert with Nick Miles is coming up. 
your engines and you're off. Back to our auto expert with Nick Miles. You know, there are so many new cars being launched this year that it's almost impossible for all of us to get to all the events. Uh, Perry, you got the chance to go drive the new Honda Passport, a reissuing of the name, but it's not anything like the Passport of the Past, is it? No, the Passport of the Past was actually an Isuzu Rodeo, believe it or not. Uh, it was sold, you know, basically late 90s through early 2000, uh, and it was basically just a rebadged Isuzu Rodeo. And at the time, I think Honda was... Uh, the Honda Odyssey was being rebadged as an Isuzu Oasis, right. so they kind of exchanged. Uh, but this new Passport is based on the Pilot, uh, which has seen great success. Uh, it's a bit smaller. Uh, I think wheelbase is about the same, but it's got better um, ground clearance. It's really designed as an adventure vehicle. That's what they're going for. Uh, and a question. So the Pilot is basically the same as the Acura MDX. Correct. Uh, it's just uh, the body portion is very different. So the Acura is a lot smaller. Um, it's a lot sleeker. It's a lot more sporty. So presumably then it's the same. It would follow that the Passport right. is the same as the MDX. But it's smaller than the MDX and smaller than the Passport. It is. It's only a five-passenger. And the way Honda's looked at it is this is kind of a gap that they have not filled in a long time. So they had CRV, which was a small five passenger, and really the next step up was Passport, which right. is a pretty large vehicle. Right. Um, so this is going to fill that gap nicely, and it also is more adventure like. I mean, they've made it more aggressive looking. Uh, like I said, they've raised the ground clearance. They put molding around the bottom of the vehicle yeah. that basically makes it look even taller. One of the things um, it's very hard for me to do is to now, um, I guess, genderize the vehicle because you always want to say it's more masculine. But the trouble is there are some ladies who like to drive very masculine, beefy off-road cars. Like you've seen the stickers, like, trucks are for girls, silly. Yeah. Uh, a and right. Jen likes beefy, you know, SUVs. So masculine's probably not the correct word but anymore. But aggressive then makes it sound like somehow it's a little out of control and could bite if you're not careful. You know, it's there's there's no good words now to explain. It's strong this. looking. How about that? All Bold. right, but does Bold. that mean strong? You does know, that mean Bold. weak? No. Well, I mean, Why would strong mean weak? That makes no sense. Does that does that mean that everything else is weak that isn't that? Co I don't know. That's what they would like you to believe. Yes. All right. Uh, and so we did take it off-road, and to show that it was an off-road vehicle, we actually went to Moab, Utah, which is typically where you take Jeeps and, you know, major off-roaders. And no, we didn't drive it where a Jeep would go. Uh, it was, you know, muddy, snowy roads. And But then we went over some rocks. It was, you know, it was not something you could do in two-wheel drive. How big were the rocks? They were big enough that if you went too fast, you'd probably scrape bottom. All right. So um, maybe eight eight inches? Yeah, I suppose. Uh, <laughs> measure it. <laughs> Get out, measure it. But the the nice thing is that they've you know the four wheel drive system's all electronic, and so they've got all these different drive modes. And as it happens, snow mo they do have a snow mode, which would have been a lot of fun up in Seattle this past week. Uh, it's actually the most fun to drive. They don't have a sport mode in the car, but what uh, snow mode does is it puts most of the power to the rear wheels, so it's a rear basically becomes more of a rear wheel drive vehicle. It also lets the wheels spin a bit more than it would typically. So you basically end up with a vehicle that you could practically drift, um, which if you're a driving enthusiast is you know what you want. <laughs> 
I so there's kind of a big gap between the wheel and the cladding yeah. on the vehicle. So it looks it looks like it has a lot of ride height for for you know going off roading a little bit. Also, I like the black wheel option. Uh, that makes it look a little bit stronger, a little bit more dominating. <laughs> I'm discovering words here to make not <laughs> not masculine or aggressive, but makes it you know more beefy. Non-binary uh, words. Yes, non-binary yeah. is beefy a binary word? Uh, no, not, it makes it good. more beefy, um, and those sort of things. So they've done a lot of design trickery to make it look sort of you know tougher. Exactly. I mean, when you think about it, most people buying vehicles like this are not going to go to Moab and go off roading. They want people to know that they can, uh, but you know. So a lot of it appearance is is very important. It needs to appear that it can do all of these aggressive off road things. Uh, or whatever word you want to use. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> people thinking about their verbiage now. Exactly. Potentially, you could haul a Jeep to, well, I mean, you would haul a Jeep in a Honda, right? To Moab. That's okay to do, right? 5,000 pounds. 5,000 pounds, yeah, I yeah. suppose you could. Because it will to tow 5,000 pounds, which is, you know, pretty right, impressive. You no, know, no, you wouldn't, because the trailer's probably going to be 1,000. Okay. I'm not so. good at the, the, the towing. Oh, you could it. just drive your Jeep. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, there we go. I mean, there is that. Um, <laughs> But it's you know, but it also is a Honda, and so it's comfortable interior. It has a nice integrated uh, display screen. It has all the bells and whistles. You know, you can get the top of the line, which has heated and cooled seats. Uh, because it only is a five passenger, you end up with a pretty good amount of rear seat space, and you have a lot of cargo space. And so it becomes a pretty useful vehicle, especially for those who buy the seven passenger because they want the extra room, not because they have seven passengers. Right. And so it makes for a nice option uh, for anyone who's looking for something like that. And, you know, I'm quite certain it would have done really well in the snow just based on the four-wheel drive system that they have in the car. I, I mean, I like a lot of things about this vehicle. What, what's the sort of starting price? How much is my investment? Um, let's see. I think that uh, there's, I know, I believe there are four trims, and the base model is the Sport, which starts around 32000 uh, and that's with front-wheel drive. Four-wheel drive uh, adds about $2,000 on. So you're probably talking about 40000 for one I might want. Yeah, for one you would might you might want. I mean, the fully loaded top-of-the-line Elite, which comes with all-wheel drive, is 43680, yeah. 43, sorry. I, I, I am Elite, but on the radio, I try not to tell people. The, uh, the whole idea of this vehicle, too, is it's been on sale for a couple of weeks. You think they're going to do well? I think it'll do well. It's not going to be a you know a barnstormer necessarily, but it's it will it will fill the nice gap, and I don't think it's going to take anything away from any of the other Honda models, which ideally is what they're looking for. I mean, if they sell ten thousand a month, they'll be over the moon. Oh yeah, if they sell five thousand a month, they'll be happy. I believe so. Um, and and it's good too because it keeps people in the family, right? If they want to go from a CRV, but they're not quite ready for the pilot yet, they have something in between there. And that's what they were really trying to do with this car is that you know to fill that gap. Now, being raised and a bit more beefy and uh, and claddy, is it going to reduce the gas the gas miles in it? I don't believe so. I mean, it's uh, you know, like we said, it's a lot of its appearance, and so it's you know, the fuel economy numbers I believe are pretty similar to the Pilot. Um, uh, don't believe that they had announced. Oh yes, I, actually they did. So it's it's a little bit uh, better in the pilot I think with front wheel drive a little bit worse actually with four wheel drive but it still gets about 25 miles per gallon right uh, I, I can live with that it's when it gets down to about 9 miles a gallon which is what my truck does 
it starts to become painful. Yeah, you don't get a lot of new cars doing nine miles per gallon, at least not that we can afford. Yeah, but then, you know, boys like me go out and put lift kits on them and big wheels, and before you know it, nine miles a gallon. Well, uh, you could do that with the passport or the pilot, I'd, uh, passport, pilot, whichever one. You could do it with both of them. Exactly. I, I actually was looking at it. I think it looks like it's raised off the ground quite, uh, quite nicely. Um, I think if you put a bigger lift on it, it would start to look a bit top-heavy. Well, I imagine this fall in SEMA, we'll probably see that. <laughs> of course. And then we'll see somebody make one into a truck and blah, blah, blah. That's I it. think they call that the Ridgeline. Yeah, well, let's, let's, <laughs> let's, see. let's see if they don't make a passport truck <laughs> slightly smaller than the Ridgeline. Yeah. Uh, who knows? There's, that's what uh, welding torches for, are for in SEMA, uh, those type of things. Do you think that uh, this vehicle is uh, a good... Uh, well, first of all, what's this competition? Um, I guess in that size vehicle, you've got... Uh, well, RAV4 is a bit smaller, but you've got a Toyota Highlander. Uh, you now have a Subaru Ascent. Yeah. Although Subaru Ascent is actually seven-passenger. It's not five-passenger. Yeah. But size-wise, they're very similar, and price-wise, they're similar as well. Um, is it Highlander Ascent, technically Santa Fe? Seven? Yeah, Highlander. Techni technically seven passenger too, right? Yes. Yeah, I, I think yeah. technically seven is probably the right way to say it because yeah. it's, <laughs> it's, it's five passenger. Well, yeah, five yeah. plus two, it's, perhaps, is yeah. a better way to say it. <laughs> two as long as they're under three foot tall. Something like that. That's usually the way it goes. Uh, when we come back, we're going to uh, switch from Hondas to talk about uh, Toyotas, the new Tacoma and the new Forerunner. Uh, Dan Johnson joining us from Toyota. Um, and I'll tell you, there's a new Tacoma. We're going to find out all about that. As our auto expert continues, it's a very beefy show today, don't you think? <laughs> Talking about like beefy, tough, strong, strong. strong. Stay tuned. There's more to come with Nick Miles. Jump right in and put the pedal to the floor. Our auto expert with Nick Miles continues. So, uh, John Eric, our producer, uh, gave me a list of names, synonyms for masculinity. Just in case we don't, you know, so we can get the cars right. They include um, hairy <laughs> and tuna, which I find very distressing. The passport is so tuna. Mm -hmm. <laughs> tuna, honorable, manful, uh, robust. Robust, I like that one. Stout-hearted. <laughs> Isn't that fat? Stout-hearted. Yeah. I know. Is that coronary artery disease? Stout-hearted. <laughs> I don't know. It's uh, anyway. We can just stick with beefy. Beefy, it is. I guess. I like beefy. Red-blooded and beefy. Mm. No. Yeah. All right. <laughs> Isn't everything red-blooded? <laughs> Not everything. Just alive. I don't know. Snakes. They red blood? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, snakes are red blooded. Come on now. Come on now, Perry. Their blood's cold, so it's not red. Well, that's what I was wondering. <laughs> um, I have to tell you guys a story. So, uh, I needed to drive the new RAV4. I thought it was Goldilocks. No. <laughs> and so, I need to drive it, and I'm doing a video series uh, on it. So, uh, Toyota shipped one from Torrance, which is their headquarters, all the way up here on a truck for me to drive it. And then they're picking it up on Monday in the truck and shipping it back to Torrance. That seems like a good use of time. <laughs> I, I, I could have saved them 
the money and flown down and then just driven it back. <laughs> or just driven it down there. There was a That's semi funny. truck in a suburban neighborhood today that <laughs> yeah. took over an entire lane of the road to, to deliver the RAV4. The RAV4. <laughs> yeah. But I will tell you, I, I was there on Service. the I was there on the launch of the vehicle uh, when they did the ride and drive just outside San Francisco, and I liked it. But boy, I like it even more. They have an adventure grade, which has this orange interior and gray and black and then gray on the outside, and the front looks like a truck. In fact. I'm kind of tired of the wimpy-looking vehicles. Like, there's this stage, maybe 2013, where everything was sort of fluidic design and very rounded and, uh, you know, like, I mean, there are cars that are very rounded and fluidic design that are awesome, like the Macan um, right. or, or the Cayenne or those sort of things. But a lot of times, the SUVs were just like... Mwah, mwah. They were just all the same. I mean, it was hard for people who weren't car people to tell apart what make and model different vehicles. I have a friend in Chicago that used to say, I, uh, I want this. And says, that's one of them. Right? No, no, that's not. That's a, that's a different model. A cookie cutter um, crossover. Yeah, exactly. So it's really nice to see this vehicle come around where it's met. Beefy. <laughs> Tuna-like. Tuna-like. <laughs> Hairy. Um, well, yeah, it's nice to see vehicles like, like to put a truck front on an SUV. Why are you looking up other The RAV4 like, has hair. That's going to be the new, the new line, right? Toyota's calling. Hold on. <laughs> so so this, the, the stout-hearted, strong, two-fisted. Two-fisted. Like, yeah, wow. Two-fisted two RAV4. It's a, it's a synonym for, for mass. I can't wait to see your video on this one. <laughs> we already shot it. So uh, uh, Should have uh, wrote uh, these synonyms before we shot it. Vigorous. Uh, virile. Well-built. Well, well it's built. a Toyota. I yeah. mean, it's going to be well-built, right? I agree um, with you, though. I mean, it looks like a, ra a small RAV4. Or not, a small 4Runner, rather. Yeah, from the it front. does. They've done such a good job. I was mortally disappointed when they told me the TJ Cruiser was not going to be made. This was the concept car they right. unveiled a year and a bit, a year and a half ago at the Tokyo Auto Show. I love that thing. Although I saw it at an auto show in California recently where it looks like half the size. Maybe it looked really big in Tokyo because everything's much smaller. <laughs> you know, streets are smaller, cars are smaller. But I saw it and I went, is, is that a scaled-down model of the ETJ? That they, no, it's the same one. It was the same vehicle. They'd flown it over from Japan. Hmm. Um, when they told me that it wasn't... And by the way, when you see it, when people in San Diego were just flipping out with that vehicle because... TJ is what they call Tijuana. So it was called the TJ Cruiser. Oh, they were perfect. like, guess where we're going for the weekend? <laughs> <laughs> we're going to get fresh tacos. Um, so I was disappointed when that uh, didn't come out because that was sort of a replace for the FJ Cruiser. Um, but uh, now they have the RAV4. And I think some of their other vehicles that they're going to bring back this year are going to be much more masculine. Um, we're going to talk about the Toyota beefy, hairy, two-fisted. There'll be more two-fisted cars coming as the season gets uh, a little further in. Um, I also heard rumors that Nissan will have five unveils at the New York Auto Show. They told us it was going to be a very busy show, uh, and I know I've already heard of a couple of them that are going to be there. So I think it's the new Note, the Nissan Note, uh, the Versa Note, Ooh. Um, the new Sentra, 
You're really excited now, aren't you? Uh, yeah, I can barely contain myself. The 50th anniversary GTR. Now we're getting better. The Atala design uh, one? The 50, that one? Uh, that'll be there, but it's not. It's going to be a different one. That I heard that they were going to build some of those. 50. 50. Yeah, 50 yeah. And then the, uh, the Z, Z car celebrating oh, yeah. 50 years. Right. Which is which is be another way of extending it and still not redesigning yeah, that gotta, car. They got to do something with that. Like I really like it, but I'm, I it's, might not if you don't do something soon. <laughs> uh, the GTR 50, however, woo, to drive that thing around Laguna Seca scared the living heebie-jeebies out of me. Uh, that thing is fast. I nearly lost it on turn on on the second lap on turn three or whatever it was. Everyone was ticky talky really online that that. Oh, a million dollars for a GTR. Get inside that car. Yeah, it's amazing. All right, coming up, we're going to talk Toyota New Tacoma. It's on the slate. It's coming soon. It's beefy and two-fisted. We'll talk about how cool that vehicle is. <laughs> Stay tuned. More of Our Auto Expert with Nick Miles is on the way. Our auto expert continues. Here's your host, Nick Miles. So uh, we, we, we're getting dirty stairs. We have to reel it back in with a masculine talk um, from, the, from the newsroom. We just got to be careful that we don't lose control of radio. And this is supposed to be a fun show, newsroom. <laughs> you can do whatever you want. All right. <laughs> I'm just doing the but, news, man. That's all. It's supposed to be a fun show. Uh, so we were at Chicago Auto Show recently. New vehicles. I mean, it was basically sh- it, it, supposed to be sponsored by Nissan. Ended up being mostly a Toyota show. Uh, they had, I think, four new vehicles on display for the first time, including the Supra, which was kind of cool. Um, I, I like it when people use shows like Chicago to introduce new vehicles. And one of the reasons is a lot of people forget about that as being one of the major U.S. shows, and it misses out. But if you want the attention from the crowd of auto journalists, do it in Chicago, one of the four biggest. It's the biggest foot traffic show in North America. They sell more, I think, more pizza at that show than any other show in the United States. Isn't it the largest, too? It's the manliest. Square footage-wise, yeah. Square footage-wise, yeah. I believe so. A million square foot. Well, come on. It's manliest. All right, so it's the beefiest, <laughs> the beefiest show. It has more uh, than two fists. <laughs> <laughs> now, now everyone in the newsrooms are now on their knees. <laughs> uh, so I just wanted to uh, make sure we got an opportunity to talk um, as much as possible about the show. And so uh, we have the, uh, the, the great honor of uh, having join us on the show, uh, Dan Johnson, who is uh, the show entertainment manager at the Toyota Motor, uh, Toyota Motor Shows. Is that right, Jen? Is that what you wrote here? <laughs> uh, we've met before, Dan. Engagement, man. Um, are, are you there? Yep, I'm here. Oh, you're here. I think we met at SEMA before. You did a, a really cool CHR, is that right? Well, I've been at SEMA a few times, not really responsible for CHR, <laughs> handle more of the, uh, the truck side of the business. All right. Uh, the Toyota Tacoma, brand new uh, version of it at the Chicago Auto Show. 
now there's a lot of heavy competition coming out for that sh that truck there there's been a, a version of it from uh, the GM group they've had two different versions so one from the GMC and one from uh, Chevrolet and then Ford has the new Ranger but strangely enough Tacoma has managed to keep its market share uh, above everybody else's still the number one truck in that in that department what's the secret to Tacoma's success well, you know, Tacoma's been the number one selling midsize pickup truck for 14 years. And I think it's a great combination of heritage, what we would call quality dependability. And, you know, it offers a whole bunch of different options and basically provides our consumers what they're looking for. The, the new one that was introduced at Chicago, um, it, it's got a bigger grill. It looks like it has a bigger grill. Is that right? Yeah, all of the new... Tacomas for model year 20 will come with new grills and a new audio system with um, Apple CarPlay and Amazon, and then obviously Alexa. And now, so this is the first time that you've also had a touch screen on the inside as well? No, actually, we've had a touch screen. It's just been a little bit smaller. So it's a larger touch screen this year, all the way up to eight inches. And then, uh, Obviously, we've added new power seats for this year so that you have a little bit more control over where you seat and how you seat with 10 different ways. And, and I like the idea, too, that uh, one of the first things that, it, that you ever did, and I know it's a geeky thing and it's, it's not what truck guys buy the car for, but I, I, would, I love it, is you, did, you thought about how people use these vehicles and you've put a GoPro mount in the, in the windshield so when you're doing all that fun off-road stuff, you can actually capture it as well. Was that... Uh, is is that really to reflect the lifestyle that uh, people use the truck with? Because uh, no other company has managed to follow suit yet. Well, when we launched the truck in 2016, we actually did launch it with a GoPro mount and an association with GoPro. And what we found out is now with cell phones and all the other availability out there, we probably really didn't need to have that mount anymore. So we actually took it out for the 2019 model. All right, and, and then still uh, a lot of stuff that the, the truck is sort of famous for is that getting in and out of really sandy situations or uh, difficult situations. I saw a video on the launch of the last version, and I never got to see it physically myself, where uh, I'm, I'm, you're going to have to explain this because I'm going to do a horrible job of explaining it. But basically when the vehicle gets stuck, it sort of rocked itself out of, of the sand pit. Yeah, so all our off-roads and our, excuse me, our TRD off-roads and our pros all come with multi-train select and crawl control. And really what it does is it utilizes the vehicle's braking system and the vehicle handles the throttle, the brakes. All you have to do is actually steer and it looks for the vehicle that slips, add a little bit of brake to it, and therefore moves the torque to the wheels that aren't slipping and literally will pull you out of a sand pit buried all the way up to the frame. It also does a tremendous job of taking you up a rocky hill or really get you anywhere where you want to go. No, I like the idea of, uh, of getting out of uh, situations. I might have once or twice got vehicles stuck in the mud, and that's, uh, it's sort of super useful to have a vehicle that can you know, drive better than I can for that very uh, reason. Now, I w the vehicles that were also released uh, in, in Chicago, uh, I need some clarification to understand. So the TRD, obviously the Toyota Racing Division, 
uh, vehicles, but then there's a pro version of those. Is is that pro a step above TRD, or how does the pro work? Yeah, so TRD Pro is a step above our TRD off-road series. So Fox 2.5-inch bypass shocks, a TRD tuned suspension from springs, and then it also adds a lot of the stuff that you would find in our higher grades from like JBL Audio to, um, let's see, what would be the best way to explain it? You know, leather seats, all the nice niceties that our higher grades of vehicles have. I noticed all the capability to get you anywhere you want to go. Yeah, I noticed that uh, there was some figures thrown around in Chicago that a lot of people who are buying Toyota vehicles and the trucks are buying the TRD versions. Like it's it's one of the most popular. Yeah, on the Tacoma series, it's over fifty percent. Wow! So TRD between the the pro, the off road, and sport are really our bread and butter in the truck segment. Uh, I noticed, uh, too, that the new colors that you guys have, whoever's working on Toyota's colors at the back at uh, the R&D center is doing a really cool job because the first time I ever saw this sort of, uh, I would say, almost a military desert storm, I think it's uh, it's called sandstorm, if I remember rightly. Maybe that's not the right color, but the, the brown, sandy color, uh, that was the first time I ever saw it on a truck was on a Toyota, and now it seems like every truck company is doing it, and then you came out with this sort of light, uh, maybe gray-blue, I would describe it as. It's almost, I think it's Concrete. called c- cement, cement or... Yeah, something yeah like so you guys Calvary definitely... Blue. What's it called? It was Calvary Blue. Okay, that's it. And then the uh, and then the the sandstorm too. Uh, I'm not sure if that's the right name for the color, but it seems like you know Toyota did these first, and now everybody is following suit, uh, putting these on the vehicles. Yeah, basically with our pros, we come out with a new kind of what I would call a one-off elite color every year. So we've had everything from quicksand to our Calvary Blue, to this year, Voodoo Blue, a really bright blue. And then for 20, we're going to go to what we call either a dark green or an army green. It's a really cool color. I love that. I love it. There was a very dark green um, FJ Cruiser, I think, the last year that that came out, almost like a British racing green. And I love that because they did the ro- you, you guys did the roof the same color, and a lot of the FJs had the white roof. Uh, this had the uh, the complete green on on the whole truck. I nearly bought one because I like the color so much. Isn't I, I shallow that I buy a car for its color? That's uh, no, you are not alone. <laughs> <laughs> Many people buying them for their colors. So the the new uh, Tacoma that was shown at the Chicago Auto Show uh, is that's a twenty twenty twenty. Yes, sir. And when does that uh, start to materialize? If someone's interested in the twenty, when can they start looking at dealers? We'll start building them in the first part of September, so September of 19. Okay, and then what are the, uh, so it's a facelift changes, some tech changes. Is there any uh, underpinning changes, no change to the motor or, or the, uh, the shocks or anything like that? Yeah, so the the engine and the transmission, the rear end, right, all that stuff stays the same. If you look at the TRD Pro, we did go to a lighter wheel. So of course we had to retune the suspension a little bit for that. All right, and then and then just the the body changes uh, front and back. Is there a changes to the back? Yeah. So the rear tail lights, we've kind of updated them with a different look, either with some additional chrome or 
we've darkened them out depending upon which model you're looking at. So uh, this is Perry Dunn. Uh, is this the first Toyota, at least in a while, that actually has Android Auto as well? Yes, this is the first vehicles. It, actually, what I'm going to call the four brothers, right? Tacoma, Tundra, Forerunner, and Sequoia were really the first vehicles that uh, we have Android on. So hopefully this has opened the floodgates and we'll start seeing them in other Toyota models as well. You know, I'm not allowed to say that. No, of course not. <laughs> <laughs> I will just hope myself. Uh, yeah, it's been it's it's kind of fun to uh, to see that uh, coming as well. The Android Alexa, oh sorry, the Alexa integration as well. Uh, Toyota was one of the first companies to actually do that. Uh, how extensive is it? Does it do? It does uh, home to car. Does it do car to home as well? Yeah, it does home to car and uh, will allow basically your Alexa to speak to your vehicle. Don't believe it does car to home. So So you can do things like start it in the morning from Alexa and those type of things. Well, each we have different audio systems that allow basically you to talk to your vehicle. So every vehicle above what I would call a TRD sport has the ability to actually talk from your cell phone, from Alexa to the vehicle. All right, and then and then that's presumably to do things like start the vehicle and, and have a communication with it at those at those points. Now I know that one of the big things that happens with the Tacomas is aftermarket upgrades. Uh, do you think we'll see some of these at SEMA this coming year, where uh, people are putting new bumpers on them? And uh, uh, will we ever see one that's uh, hydrogen powered, which makes pizza? <laughs> Because that's a, that's a common request, I imagine, you get. One off, but, you know, we've got a semi that we're running out of uh, Long Beach that's powered by two Mirai engines that uh, I think you'll see going down the 110 corridor here pretty soon, so that'll be really cool. Yeah, the uh, the, the Toyota Pi, which I refer to, too, which was at SEMA this mm -hmm. year, um, you know, this it seems like, it seems a little gimmicky. It was a Tundra. It seems a little gimmicky. But I actually ate a piece. I sat on the back of it with uh, the head of marketing, and uh, uh, I had had a piece of the pizza which came out of that truck. It was good pizza. That's because we didn't eat. Since yeah, well, you woke up at yeah. midnight in the morning. <laughs> Nothing it, beats truck pizza. <laughs> it was good pizza. All right, uh, if you hang around with us just a second, we're going to take a quick break. But when we come back, I want to talk about the brand new Forerunner um, that uh, is is out there, or the Forerunner, and that is a vehicle that I know Ryan owned, Ooh. and uh, I own a version of that, but slightly different. Awesome. So we'll talk about that. Stand by. We're coming up. Cool. Thank you. Go away. There's more to come with Nick Miles. Our auto expert will be right back. It's our auto expert with Nick Miles. We're having a bit of a Toyota Fest in the studio today, talking about Toyotas. Uh, on the phone with us, Don Johnson uh, from Toyota. Uh, so I have to say that uh, Ryan owned a Forerunner. And uh, was it your favorite vehicle of all time? Actually, let me talk about you've had you. You were a Toyota guy through and through till the day I die. Yeah, 
So you had a forerunner. Yeah, I had a forerunner. I've had Corollas. I had an AE86 Corolla. I had a 97 Corolla. I have a 2016 Corolla. Jeez. Toyota. So, yeah, you got a lot of Toyotas in your uh, in your life. Uh, forerunner. What initial thought? I mean, I'm um, sure Donald fills in the fact. I buried it in pouring down weather at the dunes. I buried it up past the wheel wells, and I just put it in four low, and it crawled out. Uh, see, that's why we like him. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you like to hear that, don't you, Don? Yes, I do. Uh, uh, Runner's one of my favorite vehicles. It, it's, I would say, too, I own the, uh, and I'm not sure how politically incorrect it was, I'm just about fancy to say, but version. I own the fancy version. <laughs> might, might, have a, might have a Lexus badge on the outside. Uh, so uh, uh, one of the things that the dealer told me when I bought my car is, that uh, Toyota Lexus batteries have a strange ability to not have had the car started for a year and still have enough juice to start the car. And that is one of the reasons I bought it because I'll park it in the garage for seven months and the day it snows, then I can take it out and drive it. And uh, I'll drive other things in the, in the nice weather, but I need a car that like, I'm sure will start every single time and that's the idea of having one. That's what that's that's why I got it. And that's why I like it. Yeah, the idea that it'll just get You're me making him wonder what else is in your driveway that isn't starting. <laughs> <laughs> well, would you like to pick up that one, Ryan? <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's been a few. There's been a few. Uh, I I did uh, manage to find new homes for three of my vehicles recently, which weren't getting used, and so the result was Cue the Sarah McLaughlin music. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So the first one, Don, appeared in uh, 1984. It's been around over 30 years. Yeah, we've been building Forerunners for a long time, and we've had several different generations. And if you kind of look at where it started and what we have now with Toyota Safety Sense, you know, we've come a long way with Forerunner. The Safety Sense 2.0, uh, detecting pedestrians and low light cyclists and an object in the path of the vehicle will come to a complete stop. Uh, that is that Safety Sense 2.0 going to be across the line of Toyota trucks as well? Uh, across the line for trucks and SUVs. And and this so is have, yeah, you're setting the bar right as far as safety is concerned. What what's give us the sort of the the synopsis of safety system uh, Toyota Safety Sense 2.0. So it's pre-collision system with pedestrian detection, lane departure assist, dynamic radar cruise control, and auto high beams. So a great set of safety um, specifications that uh, keep what's important safe. Yeah, and I like the idea of detecting pedestrians in low light because often you can miss seeing them. And uh, the fact that the car can actually see them is uh, is a great benefit too. You know what? Toyota, uh, where they they have a lot of inventions. You guys do an awful lot of new technologies. You probably don't get enough credit for. I think the first uh, night vision vehicle I ever drove was a Lexus that had night vision in it as well. Uh, but they're also this. They sort of have this reputation of uh, being solid. JD Power and Associates award came out for uh, durability. I believe was the last award. They had, and the Toyota and Lexus sitting right there in the top, at the top of the uh, top of the list. What's what's the magic source? Yeah, what's the magic source to that? Well, I think it's really our chief engineers and all the work that we do from a design standpoint and a testing standpoint and a durability standpoint to make sure that our vehicles last. 
you look at uh, Tacoma, great resale value, right? Lowest cost of ownership for five years. And that's really what a Toyota is. As you said, you can leave it in your in your garage and it'll start seven months later. That's dependability. And, and at the same time, you manage to, um, you know, not do crazy things. A lot of car companies will come out with, I think I could probably go through the list of Toyotas in the last let's say 20 years that I've been reviewing cars, 2002 was my very first test drive, so I guess that's uh, less than that, so that's 16 years I've been reviewing cars. And in the last 16 years, I would, I have a, I can name one vehicle that I didn't like in the lineup. There seems to be this, you just, he seemed to hit the mark quite right, and obviously the Forerunner was one of those vehicles. You're still selling a lot of them today? Yeah, we sold uh, right around 124,000 of them retail last year. So it's a nice volume vehicle. We sell about 245,000 Tacomas, so uh, two great vehicles from a volume standpoint. I love the fact that I'm just thinking I've just been doing some research onto sales figures, and there are some comp you know, competitive companies that would love to sell uh, 140,000 or 120,000 a year of their vehicles. That's, those are big numbers for any car company. I mean, and you, these are just one of uh, pro probably around 12, 14 models that Toyota has out. Um, that's one of the things that I think makes people come back and back. You keep everybody in the family. Now, the Forerunner is, uh, if I look at the dates here, so the last Forerunner was 2009. It tends to be about seven years uh, between it. So before then, it was 2002 to 2009. That's seven years. So we're technically a couple years overdue for a new one. Is that right? Well, <laughs> no, no, no yeah, pressure. You're, you're asking me questions. Of now uh, but you so, have to tell me. I can't tell me. We're always <laughs> working on updating our vehicles and adding what our customers are looking for to make sure that they meet the market needs. I, I like the fact that I'm looking back here and it's been consistently seven years between each model. And the last one was 2009. So I'm just going to, I'm going to hold my breath for that. Uh, the, the Forerunner, uh, the starting price, uh, how much are they, how, how much they start at? Well, starting price is right about 34000 All right. That's, that's reasonable. I mean, I could have got one instead of my uh, GX, but I uh, I like a few of those creature comforts. Uh, Don, it's been really great having you on and learning about these new vehicles. Uh, of course, you, you have a fan club in here already, so it wasn't hard to, to sell us on them. Uh, the new uh, Tacoma coming, as you heard, towards the end of the year and the brand new uh, Forerunner. We don't know when that's coming because... I'll just tell you, Don, Don wouldn't tell us when it's coming, but if I'm doing my math, we're overdue. We should be getting one, hopefully, in the next few auto shows. You're listening to our auto expert. we got more cool car stuff with Perry next. More of our auto expert with Nick Miles is on the way. He's Nick Miles, and this is our auto expert. Superstars of Cars right here. We're talking to Perry Stern, who you can read all of his stuff on MSN Autos. Uh, you get a lot of views on there, don't you? People read a lot of your stuff. They seem to, yeah. Well, you told me that your Airstream trailer was the biggest story you ever wrote. It was. Uh, you know, I mostly write about cars, but every so often write about something without a motor. 
and uh, the Airstream Base Camp was extremely popular. How many views? Uh, we had about 12 million page views in an afternoon. Uh, all told, about 20 million page views to, that, just to that story. And maybe you should write more stories about things without motors. I was thinking about that. <laughs> but the problem is I really like things with motors. Yeah, me too. <laughs> uh, you recently went to Spain... Yes, to, I did, to, to drive, drive something with a motor. Uh, Porsche 911, the new one, the one, the first one that has that that wet mode, the tracking thing. What's it called? It's wet mode. Yeah, wet mode. I yes, got it right. exactly. Uh, this is where the car actually decides when the road's wet and does things. It does. That's, right. that's a, that's a very you're supposed to easy explain. way of putting it, yes. <laughs> uh, the interesting thing is that the way it detects whether there's water on the road is not by wheel slippage or anything like that. It actually has microphones that hear the water splashing and oh. based on water splashing it determines that there's enough water on the road that it uh basically turns on wet mode which makes the car much more controllable uh you know it's even with the rear wheel drive because you can get it with all wheel or rear wheel uh the rear wheel drive car becomes much more controllable in the very slick conditions of rain do they wet something down for you in valencia spain they did, uh, something known as a track. Uh, All right. So they did wet down the go-kart track at the track we were uh, located at. Okay. Uh, and it was impressive. I mean, you can really push the car into the corners and you turn the wheel and it just goes the direction you, you know, want. You know, I noticed that with a lot of these new cars is they're so impressive that it's really hard to get into trouble. You don't have to be that good a driver. You don't have to, but you can turn everything off, and then you can get yeah, into trouble if you really yeah, want to. This is trouble. You're just asking for somebody to slide it into a wall somewhere, especially if there's a racetrack involved. Right, and they were very clear when the racetrack, not the wet one, <laughs> but the dry one, that uh, the stability control remains on. All right. Uh, that's another way of saying we don't trust you. Exactly, and as you pointed out earlier about all the journalists with the impressive driving abilities, uh, that's the same thing here. I went to, I, I drove on a track recently with a, expensive car and just realize how bad a driver i am really i mean i i was okay but the the car was so much to handle you put supercars on tracks and usually i can stay up with the instructor you know it was i don't even know if he was still on the same track <laughs> it was, i didn't see him we took off from the stop and it was gone I see that, and everyone was the same boat mind you i mean that's the thing with the porsche 911 is it is an it's an easy car to drive so even if you really don't have impressive racing skills, track skills, whatever. Uh, just even driving it on the road, it's super comfortable. It doesn't feel closed in. I mean, the cockpit, this new model is a bit wider, a bit longer than the previous generation. Uh, it's just comfortable inside. Uh, there's not a lot of trunk space. The rear seat makes actually better use as trunk space than it does for sitting seating people. Uh, but it's it's an easy car to drive fast. There are a few of those in I've driven over the years. Yes. And my dog may get in the back seat. Uh, it, are you convinced this is the best Porsche 911 ever? Uh, I can't say ever because I haven't driven every one of them, but recent past, at least 911s that I've driven, yes, absolutely. Uh, it feels quicker. It's... Uh, handles amazingly well. I mean, you go around the track and you just keep going faster and faster and it you go into corners and it just tracks exactly as you want it to. And with the stability control on, it it keeps you on the right line without feeling like it's interfering, like it's cutting power. You know, a lot of these cars, you know, as soon as the wheels start to spin, suddenly it's cutting the power so that it's saving you but taking away some of the fun. It's kind of like walking on a tightrope with that harness on. 
someone holding the rope. So, so exactly. you know, you can get you can get really crazy and you can run across it. But the cars are so good at not letting you get into trouble that you can drive around these tracks. And then and then you'll drive something like a 1963 Dodge, and then you're uh, and then you're like, yeah, we're done, we're done. Like I can't, you know, these things are so powerful with no safety systems whatsoever. Right, and and now the safety systems are so good that. Uh, you have to really push it, like you said, to get into any trouble. What What is your preference, manual or automatic? Uh, well, in the 911, you don't really have that option. There is no manual transmission, at least in the version we're driving right now. PDK. Uh, it sad. is. And that said, as much as everybody loves the manual transmission, the PDK is faster. Uh, and if that's the ultimate goal, which, you know, it if you're buying a be. Porsche 911, I suppose yeah. that's your ultimate goal. Personally, I would love a manual transmission in this car. Now, granted, this is the very first ones of the 2020 uh, 911. So these were the Carrera S and the Carrera 4S. They're going to have a base model. They're also going to have various other models. I'm guessing, and I, there's nothing. I have not seen anything specific about this, but I would guess that they will find a way to put a manual in this at some point. Yeah, I mean, there, there, there'll be some uptake for it, especially with the purists who buy manual everything. Uh, it's not good if you want to use it for commuting, but there again, there's no back seat. So why would you use it for commuting if you have to pick up groceries? It's like the passenger seat. I'd pick use up it for dog. commuting. Really? I, I would make this my well, everyday yeah, you, car. Absolutely. Yeah. What happens if you have to keep, pick up your daughter's bike? Uh, I tell her to find a way to bring it home. <laughs> yeah. You say you're in trouble. Cycle behind you me. Have bus if you can keep up, hold on to this rope. Uber X. <laughs> uh, um, how much money are they now? These things. Uh, they're not inexpensive. So the, the like I said, the we drove the S and the 4S. Uh, the S starts at one hundred and thirteen thousand dollars. The 4S, like which adult money. adds all-wheel drive, definitely adult money, $120,000 for the 4S. Yeah. And if anyone's ever looked at configuring a Porsche 911 <laughs> with all the different options, you can double the price of the car. Really? Uh, you can well, get so leather <clears throat> you know, leather on every single piece of the car, leather uh, vent holders, leather cup holders. You can get it allocated to look like any other Porsche, too. So if you wanted it to look like a 918, you could get it allocated to look like a 918 on the inside. For enough money, yes, I yeah. suppose you could. They'll do anything. Well, most people do anything for money, within reason. The, uh, the here we go again. <laughs> the, the interesting thing about uh, the, the, the Porsches, I went to one Porsche event, and it was the Panamera. It was in uh, Newburgh, Oregon. And they, I think the hybrid version of the car started at $205,000. They're, they're, like, they're not inexpensive cars, but they are amazingly well-built cars. They look good, you know, and it's, it's such an iconic car, especially the 911. It, it looks basically like it has since the very beginning. And very interesting, they brought every generation of 911 uh, to this event, we didn't get to drive them all, but had them parked all next to each other, and it was very interesting to see. It's very much an evolution, not a revolution. Yeah, they taught they taught me how to tell the difference between each one, and they're very subtle differences. They're kind of cool too. Like mm -hmm. for instance, the uh, the brake light in the new one is how you tell the difference between the last generation, this generation, just at a glance, because the brake light goes horizontally all the way across the back window, as before it just used to be a little one in the middle. Exactly. And so now you can just take a quick glance and you know exactly which uh, generation is. Now, there are savants out there who could look at almost anything and tell you what it is. Of course. I yeah. don't drive enough of them to know. 
well, you know, hopefully we get to drive more of them. But one of the interesting things I've found uh, for the design of the transmission, they've actually designed it for the eventual addition of an electric motor. Mm. So they've not made any announcements about electrification, but... Well, they have the Taycan, right? Right, but this is for the 911. Yeah. So Makes at some sense. point, you know, they've never had a hybrid 911, but they've obviously had high-performance hybrids in the past. Uh, so they've, they've got it set up to be a hybrid I'm guessing that we'll see some at some point. I think I've read the headline in the last, uh, ever since Cadillac's ELR or whatever their electric car was, everybody says, it's a Tesla killer. This is the Tesla killer. Like, it's the big headline. Everyone likes to say, this is the new Tesla killer. But the truth is, it's probably going to be Porsche that uh, that gets everybody to go away from Porsche Tesla. or Audi. Yeah, because their cars, uh, people aspire to own, and they already have incredible I guess, ambiance around them and uh, history and drivability. And so when the electric cars come that will uh, have everybody flocking to them, it's probably going to be more that. And there's a lot of them coming, and there's a lot of them that are very high-end. And mean, interestingly enough, our next guest knows all about them. Anton Wallman's going to join us <laughs> as we continue our auto expert. Maybe he'll have an opinion. We should ask him right out the gate. I bet he has all, an opinion. All about Porsche going electric. All right, that's coming up on the show. Uh, Anton will be with us, and Perry Stern hanging out to find out more. More auto expert with Nick Miles is on the way. Welcome to the Fast Lane. Our auto expert with Nick Miles continues. So, uh, we're definitely going to have to ask uh, Anton Woolman, our uh, specialist in all things electric and uh, our investor. Um, and Anton, we have Perry Stern in the studio from MSN, uh, who writes obviously a lot about stuff, and he was telling us that the brand new Porsche 911, the transmission has been specially made to uh, have an electronic motor attached to it. But is there any any smell that Porsche could possibly be doing an electric 911 or a partial electric 911? Yeah, so I think what Porsche's strategy is is this. They're going to come out with a small handful of purely electric cars starting with the Taycan, which of course hits the market at the very tail end of this year and will be followed by at least one crossover in the general vicinity of a Macan or a Cayenne. But when it comes to Porsche's most iconic product, the 911, I think the pathway that Porsche is going to take initially is to essentially add electric uh, boosts, as it were, to it to a fundamentally gasoline-driven platform. For example, you can imagine something like an um, electrically-driven turbocharger, and to take all of these other parasitic uh, loads on the engine and put them onto something that is electrically-driven, that would fit very well with what uh, Audi and Bentley and so forth have done in some other cars and step-by-step. Step. So I think that's pretty much a given and a done deal. The bigger question is going to be four or five years from now, will they essentially copy the 911 from a blank, clean sheet, a white cleat sheet, and make it a purely electric one? I think that that is going to happen in the end, but long before then, I think these uh, steps to electrify portions of the internal combustion engine's functionality will first show up in the 911 in just a couple of years from now. 
It's interesting that BMW have said that the uh, the current M5 will be probably the last gasoline-only M5. Uh, so it, it's on what level do these people include electrification, but it's clearly coming in most, most performance cars too. That's right. So if you consider the fact that the best-selling hybrid vehicle of any kind right now in the United States is the Ram 1500 pickup truck, and you consider that uh, this type of functionality is already available in the four-cylinder version of the Jeep Wrangler, and you consider the fact that the Jeep Wrangler is also going to be available as a plug-in hybrid, yeah, I think you can very swiftly see that at least partial electrification is going to be essentially par for the course. In just a few months from now, I think it's less than 12 months from now, we're going to see the all-new generation Volkswagen Golf, which we understand will have a standard, a 48-volt electrical system, which is effectively a mild hybrid system. So some degree of partial electrification will essentially become almost standard on all but the very, very, very cheapest of sort of sub $20,000 cars uh, going forward. Yeah, I was looking at the uh, the RAV4 hybrid, which I think Toyota have done an amazing job with, and noticed that the, uh, the hybrid version does 41 miles a gallon in the city. I mean, they're, they're, we're going to start to see some crazy numbers, right? That's right. So uh, Toyota, of course, has done the best job of all, anybody, certainly when it comes to real-world fuel economy. Uh, if you take the uh, rating that the Toyota hybrids from a Prius to a Camry hybrid to an Avalon, and in this case, the RAV4, and you look at what most people tend to get in real life, I think what you'll find is that the people who drive the Toyotas have the greatest probability in hitting those actual advertised numbers, and in some cases even beating them. In most of any other hybrids on the market, that has proven very elusive. So certainly Toyota delivers not just in terms of the advertised numbers, but probably more importantly that the real world, at least you're going to meet them. Yeah, and I think a lot of times, too, when uh, I start to look at some of these new cars, trucks, and SUVs coming out, uh, the the numbers have never been as good as they've been advertised until recently. And a lot of people are saying, you know, uh, if you advertise a certain number, I should be it should be attainable. It's almost like the zero to 60 mile an hour times. You don't have to be a race car driver. You don't have to be on a racetrack. If, if the average person can't meet those, they're not real. Um, they're not real world situations. And I agree with you. The other thing I think about Toyota, which is interesting, is that RAV4 hybrid takes the electric motors from uh, the Camry, and I think it takes some parts from the Prius, the battery from the Prius. Uh, and when you have such a wide stable of vehicles that you already make these systems in, it's easy to piecemeal those parts into new vehicles as well. Yeah, certainly. I mean, I think we're seeing now that, you know, Toyota, of course, led this thing many years ago, and one may ask oneself why. For example, the soon-to-be outgoing generation of something like a Sienna minivan and so forth never got any form of a hybrid system. But I think going forward, we will finally see those remaining uh, platforms from Toyota uh, actually get a hybrid version. And now, of course, other automakers are coming in. And you look at Nissan that's starting to offer its most popular car in the United States, the Rogue as a hybrid. Honda has a couple of really smooth 
uh, models at them in the Accord and the, and the inside. I mean, I just had the inside a few weeks ago for a few days, and right. I mean, it was absolutely stunningly superb in terms of the way it performed. And the big U.S. name we're going to see going forward, too, which uh, really has been there all along, but somehow never made a big name out of it is Ford. And now we're seeing it in both Ford and Lincoln models going forward, where I think you'll right. see some really attractive implementations of it. Stand by, Anton. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, talk about Rivian, Amazon, and GM. They're all going to be partying together with a new electric truck, it looks like. That's more on Our Auto Expert. More of Our Auto Expert with Nick Miles is coming up. He's Nick Miles, and this is Our Auto Expert. Occasionally, uh, car news makes national news, usually, and hopefully it isn't just for recalls, so several of those came out the last few days, but uh, specifically, the big news which made national news this year, this week was the fact that General Motors and Amazon are making an investment in Rivian trucks. They are the electric truck company, which are Michigan-based. They uh, showed their first truck and SUV at this year's LA International Auto Show. And uh, it, it got a lot of press. The question is, we talked to Anton about it before, but is it real? Uh, will it really be produced? I mean, anything could go wrong at this point. Um, Anton, significant investment from Amazon and General Motors into a third party? Yeah, so here's what happened, right? The rumor came out on Tuesday of last week uh, from Reuters basically saying that uh, Amazon and General Motors were going to invest in privately held Rivian, which uh, recently showed its pickup truck and SUV and has plans for other vehicles as well. Then an announcement came out on Friday morning and uh, no mention whatsoever of General Motors. So the question is, first of all, what happened? Um General Motors is not going to be part of this at all or what? I think what's going on is that likely there are or have been conversations between Rivian and General Motors and that we can't exclude the possibility that we might uh, hear more about those at some point within the next uh, couple of months or so. Remember, we've got the New York Auto Show coming up in almost exactly two months from now and maybe, just maybe, that might be the time at which uh, we could see a follow-up to this announcement that may involve General Motors. And you ask, why would General Motors want to be involved here? Well, that's not entirely clear, because if you look at it from a strictly technical level, when it comes to building pickup trucks and building anything electric, certainly GM has all the ingredients that it takes. It has everything electric that you know we could possibly know, we have uh, everything pickup trucks that you know, is being made out there. And certainly uh, GM has both the supply chain, the distribution, and the manufacturing infrastructure to make this happen. So Rivian doesn't on paper buy them anything that we are aware of. We're not aware of any special technology that Rivian has. I mean, they've got a beautiful concept that they've shown, but uh, sort of so what? Anybody can show a, an interesting concept and promise some big specs. Uh, delivering on them and doing that in terms of uh, in the context of manufacturing and quality and after-sales supports, that tends to be the not-so-sexy part that is always the tougher not to crack. So uh, we'll see what uh, this brings to GM. Um, one might sur surmise that maybe GM wants to be a uh, part of uh, sort of the new Amazon theme here and wants to be able to uh, uh, 
uh, speak into Amazon's ear about what it thinks about the world, how wonderful GM is and how not so wonderful perhaps all the other competitors are, and to make sure that no other automaker sits in the same boardroom with Amazon. That alone could be GM's motivation to have some involvement here, and maybe there is not all that much money exchange, a couple hundred million dollars, which is relatively peanuts for GM. So uh, that might be... Uh, uh, a reasonable uh, basis for them being involved. Interesting thing about this is that the rumors uh, started to fly uh, early on and several people got it wrong. They knew that uh, that uh, there was going to be an investment by GM and Amazon. They didn't quite know where. So uh, the initial rumors were uh, Tesla was getting the investment, but obviously it ended up as being Rivian. Now, you know, we've talked about this before, but let's remind ourselves that Rivian truck, it, it's, it's only a reality as long as every single domino in the chain falls, right? That's exactly right. I mean, we know from history from the last hundred plus years that there are thousands or tens of thousands of entities around the world which can show a concept, essentially a maybe a functioning shell with something running under it, but getting it to uh, finance a multi-billion dollar manufacturing effort and then having the distribution to sell these things. Rivian, of course, often talks about how it's going to be the adventure vehicle and people are going to want to uh, traverse the uh, rocky mountains and these things and hunt for bear or Lord knows what else. But who has most of the dealerships in the middle of America? Well, companies like General Motors, right? right. I mean, right. look at every little small town across the middle of America and GM dominates in many ways every little small town and then and, and, uh, all of these wilderness parts of the country and where you're going to get a, a vehicle like the Rivian serviced, you could very well be that GM is in it just for the distribution aspect. That is entirely uh, one possibility here. One of the things too is that uh, at, at the same time, you know, General Motors also want to make sure that uh, they keep ahead of the truck business. And the fact is that the the more competitors that they can easily bring under the General Motors umbrella earlier on, the more protected their truck uh, industry is as well, right? That's right. Now, another fun fact when it comes to Rivian, if you were to look up, uh, just sort of Google uh, Rivian and Ford F-150, one of the first things that'll show up is the fact that the prototypes that have been spotted out there in the wild is that Rivian has been using Ford F-150s and just stuck their electric powertrain somehow in there. So when you look at the prowess of a company to be able to develop a car and to do it, or in this case, a truck or an SUV or whatever, uh, and to do it in, in terms of what the kind of organization and resources that it takes, it's kind of funny that a company uh, that is going to have its own manufacturing facility and going to be making tens and thousands of cars per year at a minimum has to rely on uh, an obvious would-be competitor here, Ford, for the ability to uh, to test things. So that should you know put a little bit of a thought bubble on to many people who think that it's an easy game just to pop out a product here and uh, and make sure that there's a quality product that is presented in front of the consumer. Ford also announcing the fact that they are likely to have an electric or a hybrid F-150 as well. That's That's the rumor at least. That's right. Well, they've certainly confirmed the hybrid portion and they've always were a little coy as to is this a non-plug-in hybrid or plug-in hybrid. But uh, just here in January, they essentially confirmed that they are on a development path, whatever that means in terms of a timeline of eventually getting to an all-electric 
pickup truck. And I think clearly so is GM, with or without Rivian. So all of these companies will eventually get there. The problem is, of course, making the bet on will people really buy this thing? You know, consumer surveys for decades have shown that the consumer, in principle, when you are asking for no commitment whatsoever, are you interested in at some point uh, uh, driving an electric vehicle or are you interested in considering an electric vehicle for your next purchase? You always get a pretty big number. You get 25, 30, 40, 50% of people saying, yeah, I'm interested. But when push comes to shove on actually buying it, writing that check and relying on this vehicle, then you're down to, you know, 1% or less. I mean, if you were to take away the subsidies, carpool lane and, you know, federal tax subsidies and state subsidies and other benefits, I mean, we're talking 0.1%. I mean, ask yourself how many people in South Dakota buy an electric vehicle. I mean, it's sub 0.1%. And the same thing in all the countries around the world where there are no subsidies. I don't care whether you're looking at Russia or Vietnam. I mean, the percentages are very, very low. Only in the geographies where you have enormous subsidies or other benefits like Norway and you know, increasingly in China and in California and a couple of other countries around the world, do you see the numbers creeping up into the mid to high single digits or beyond? It's been a long trudge down this road of waiting for all these new electric vehicles, 200, which will be coming uh, very soon. Uh, we keep saying that, but in the next two years or so. Uh, but we're going to start to see some of them unveiled. Audi looking at debuting the new baby e-tron in Geneva. Yeah, so basically Volkswagen has multiple platforms. The Volkswagen Group, which includes uh, Audi and Porsche and so forth, uh, they have multiple platforms. Their least powerful one, the least expensive one, uh, will be featuring brands such as Volkswagen, Seat, and Skoda, which are sold mostly in Europe, and, of course, Audi. And the first of these Audi vehicles we will see here in uh, barely about a month from now in at the Geneva Auto Show this thing will go into production at the very end of 2020 in a factory in a town called Zwickau in Germany. And it will be in uh, retail outlets in the U.S. in relatively early 2021. So this will be one of those very popular sort of compact uh, SUV formats uh, that is so popular now in terms of the best-selling non-pickup truck vehicles that we can find in dealerships right now. And uh, I think uh, this will be a very exciting one because this really hits at the heart of the market. If you're going to ever sell meaningful volumes of an electric vehicle that, that really appeals to the broadest uh, segment of, of the consumer of, of today's world, that would be the one that would fit the bill. So is there going to be any big jump in the numbers here? 240 mile range seems to be about what we're getting out of most of the other cars in these, uh, in the electric segment at uh, the top end. Uh, when, when do we hit 300? When, when does that happen? I mean, uh, barring Tesla, nobody's really jumping above 240. That's right. So Tesla is, is uh, really the only one above about 260 right now. Hyundai is a 260 car in the market today. And, and a couple of others are, are within, you know, that 240-type range from Kia and GM and so forth. So, uh, yeah, we will see those. We will see very soon here the Polestar 2. Polestar is, of course, the performance brand from Volvo. They'll unveil their direct head-on Tesla Model 3 performance competitor on the 27th. Of, um, of February, and they've said that they're going to be that's going to be a 300 mile vehicle with all wheel drive, 400 plus horsepower, 
uh, and and uh, be just you know, this massive performance thing. And they've hinted at a price, which uh, I don't quite believe yet, which is uh, you know sort of forty five thousand dollars, which if true would be absolutely crazy. It would undercut Tesla by a very significant percentage. So let's see what actually happens there but that uh, car goes into manufacturing at the very end of this year 2019 and will be in dealerships at some point thereafter they just haven't really been clear yet as to how soon this vehicle will reach the various geographies around the world and i think we expect to hear that from volvo volvo slash polestar on the 27th of february in terms of how um, and what their rollout plan is going to be for this one but they will unveil the looks of it and probably most of the specs and uh this is going to be a a, a very uh, long range uh, vehicle by all accounts, and for that matter, Ford has said the same thing with their first crossover vehicle that uh, they're going to show here later in the year. They've said absolutely 300 miles, so definitely most of the car makers will make it up there. But you're right; many of them have failed to uh, sort of uh, get to that uh, 260 plus level so far. Anton, where can we read most of your articles? Uh, most of them on seekingalpha.com and a minority of them on thestreet.com. All right. Anton Wallman, he's our independent investor and analyst. He joins us every week to give us a summation of the, uh, the automotive industry and see how investments in electric cars are coming. Perry, electric, yay or nay? I love driving electric cars. Uh, I love the fact that electric has now become performance. And do you think you could have one day to day? Uh, for my life, I could, but I'd need another car, too. Jen? Yes. You do electric? Yeah, I could. All right. So you'd give up a truck? No. <laughs> <laughs> He's waiting for the electric no, truck. Yes. The you're, you're waiting for the F-150 electric? Oh, it'd have to be a Chevy for you. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dirty looks. If, know, if right? looks could kill, they probably right there would have done, too. Uh, could we possibly find a list of adjectives to make electric vehicles more uh, more manly, more beefy, more... Uh, Electrifying? More re- red-blooded? Shocking. <laughs> Shocking, yeah. <laughs> just, you, the trouble with electric vehicles is Charged. until Rivian came along, they were very un-adult. They were more like toys. I suppose. I mean, kind of go-kart. Well, that's not really true. I mean, Teslas are 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 plenty adult-like, if that's the word we're using. Would today. any of these synonyms for masculine fit an electric car? Ape, beefcake, bold, brave, caveman, gallant, hardy, hunk, hardy, hardy. Yeah, I suppose. I don't know. Electrics hardy. Well, gets, until they're not. It gets cold when, <laughs> <laughs> until they're not. When it gets cold, they don't work. Similar to me. When it gets cold, they don't work. And on work. that note. Yeah. <laughs> OurAutoExpert.com is the website 24-7 and all the social media channels. We'll see you next time.